My Father, we do so look forward to that day when we will be in your presence because of Christ, your Son. And Lord, we yet we know that you are working on us now, that you are making us like him, and that you are using the difficulties in life to turn our hearts to, to trust in your Son, Jesus, and to become more like him. And Father, I thank you that you use your word to conform us to the image of your Son. You change our thinking, you change our mindset, Lord God, that we would think rightly. And Lord, I pray as we look in your word today that you would use it greatly, that you would knit our hearts together in love, that you would help us be focused on the same thing. We pray you would bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have been a believer for a long time, you may or may not have seen that there are many people who claim to be Christians, and some of them are. But it seems like a lot of Christians seem to be very immature. For years and years, having been in the faith, yet not knowing the basics of the faith or not walking in the basics of the faith. Maybe they don't understand what God is doing. You see, some people think once they're saved, they can just uh, sit around and bask in the, in the context of God's forgiveness and grace. And yes, we receive his forgiveness and we receive that by his grace and how wonderful that is. But when we come to Christ, we're going to see that we are to go a certain direction after we come to Christ. That's what we're going to look at today, where we're going to see a look, take a look at Paul's testimony, where we're going to see where are we to go from here. Where are we to go after we come to Christ? What's the direction we should go when we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Now, we're going to be looking at Paul's testimony and finishing that up today. So would you turn your Bibles to Philippians? And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. And we know that the Apostle Paul, uh, by God's grace through the gospel, founded the church in Philippi. We see that in Acts chapter 16. We see that uh, he granted him the great privilege to share the gospel with Lydia and her household. And they became saved and the Philippian jailer and his household. And it's been about 10 years since they've come to faith and they know the Apostle Paul and they love him and they love him. And he is writing now to the saints who are at Philippi, to believers at Philippi. They've supported him and they are greatly concerned for his spiritual condition because he's in chains. And for his actual physical condition, because he's in chains, awaiting to go before Caesar. But yet he has shared that the gospel was not in chains. And so the Apostle Paul has, first of all, prayed for the Philippians. He's so thankful for God's work in them. And he's thankful and confident that God will complete that work. And he's prayed that their love will, for Christ will result in, in more spiritual understanding and discernment, that they would approve uh, the good things, the right things, the excellent things. And within that, he's shared his circumstances that he's in prison, but yet the gospel isn't. That God is using those circumstances for the greater progress of the gospel and that he desires that Christ would be magnified. And yet if he dies, uh, he understands to live as Christ, but to die as gain. But yet he understands he will stay on to benefit the Philippians. And then he moved to the attitude of the Philippians. They were to be uh, standing firm against the, the, the difficulties, against the opposition, standing firm in the gospel, the faith of the gospel. They were to be united. They were to be humble. They were to be like Christ, having the same mindset. 
And after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, Paul commands them and us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. That we are to obey because God is working out what is in us. And then we're not to complain or argue about anything. And then we saw in the end of chapter 2, three selfless examples of humility. Those who were working out their salvation in obedience to the Lord. The Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And then in chapter 3, in the first three verses, we have a warning based on the fact that we should be rejoicing in the Lord. But a warning and a contrast between true and false brethren. The Apostle Paul says, beware three times. Beware of the, the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. And then he gives a picture of who a true believer is. Those who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And then from that point, we have the Apostle Paul's testimony, where he begins to share that if anyone had a right to put confidence in the flesh, he did. Look at verse 3 of Philippians chapter 3. For we are the true circumcision, in contrast to the bad guys, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, Paul writes here, might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. If you want to talk about religious qualifications and and confidence in one's own standing within themselves, the Apostle Paul had the record to boast about. And he shares those former things that he trusted in. Verse 4 or verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He was a true, true Hebrew of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is found in the law, found blameless. We saw that the Apostle Paul, before coming to Christ, was confident in his religious heritage. He was confident in his religious accomplishments. And he was confident in his fleshly sincerity and religious righteousness. Paul had a lot to brag about. He had a lot to put his confidence in. He wasn't the dirty, wretched sinner in the gutter. He was zealous for God, obeying all his commands. But yet, as we saw, nothing of that could save him. Nothing in his impressive list of religious accomplishments would bring salvation to him. It was only when he would meet Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that he would recognize his sin and trust in him by faith. And then everything changed for the Apostle Paul. Verse 7, But whatever things were gain to me, those things I counted as on the plus side of, of who I was before God, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ... Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is in the lost column compared to the surpassing value, the super above value of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, walking with him, knowing him. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, when he came to faith, he had to count all that stuff as rubbish, uh, as refuse. He had to count it as that, all that religious stuff, to gain Christ. And I ask you, have you gained Christ? 
You cannot be saved unless you recognize everything you trusted in before Christ was worthless. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. And salvation is about the person of Christ. It's about knowing Him. It's about having a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ. And it's only when we encounter the Son of God through the Word of God that we recognize our own self-righteousness is, 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 is like filth. And we cry out to Him to save us and place our faith in Christ. And when we do so, as Paul shares here, we receive something. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are unrighteous in our sins, but through the forgiveness and redemption we have in Jesus, we are declared to be righteous. End of verse 8, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, not a self-righteousness from law-keeping, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. When you gain Christ, you gain His righteousness. Who will you be found in? What will you be found in? Will you be found in your own righteousness when you stand before the Lord, or will it be the righteousness of Christ by faith alone? And so we have the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He had to see all of that as worthless to gain Christ and His righteousness. But true salvation doesn't stop at the point of forgiveness of sins. It doesn't stop there. Where do we go from here? Let's continue our look in Philippians chapter 3, and I want to review verses 10 and 11, and then we'll move on to our passage in 12 through 16. Remember, the Apostle Paul had a deep desire to know Christ and thus be like him. Be like him. Verse 10, that I may know him. And then that word know is implied that I may know the power of his resurrection and and know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I would know Christ. That I would understand his resurrection power in my life as we see in scripture to obey him and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. That I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, that, that sweet fellowship that comes when two suffer together and identify with that. Being conformed to his death, Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we would live to God. In order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, and we saw that's a difficult portion, you can get the CD from last week, but he says later on, not that I've obtained it or have become perfect yet. He's not talking specifically about the physical resurrection, but a resurrection life as we're going to see. That I would be conformed to the death of Christ to sin and walk in newness of life. We see this principle in Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. Galatians chapter 2, excuse me. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He recognizes when Jesus Christ was crucified, the old Paul was crucified too. And he says here, And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I'm dead to my old life and alive in newness of life in Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. I am identified with his death to sin and his resurrection to life. Turn to Romans chapter 6 for a minute. Romans chapter 6, and we see the Apostle Paul making this point. And the point is being made in the context of, since God's grace is, is so wonderful and abounds and covers everything, should we just 
continue to sin that grace may abound. May it never be. May you never have that idea about your walk with the Lord. And then he gives the principle of how we've been united with Christ, his death and his resurrection, that we would walk in newness of life. But you can't walk in newness of life until you're dead. You see? And we need to die daily to sin, to our own will, and trust the Lord and allow his resurrection life to be manifest in ours. Romans 6, verse 5. I wish I could do the whole chapter, but we'd be here all day. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we've been united by faith. We were placed into a relationship with Christ. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was, and literally in the text, our old man was co-crucified with him, literally co-crucified, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. When you recognize, when you abide in Christ, you are freed from sin. It is Christ that brought freedom from sin. The Son of Man shall set you free. You've been set free. You are free indeed. And then he says here so clearly in verse 8, verse eight. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live, also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, what? He died to sin. He paid the penalty for our sins. He broke the chain of sin. He broke the chain of sin in our lives. When we trust in him, we are set free. Now the problem is we don't always trust in him, isn't it? And we're going to see that God wants us today to make continual steps towards being more and more like Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow in that. And he says here, he says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Christ can set you free every moment you have a bad thought. Christ can set you free every situation. Sin no longer has the power it had over us because in Christ we have died to sin. It's when we don't rely on him and abide in him that we become many slaves again to sin in that moment. Paul is sharing his true testimony here. And he is saying that he would be, he would wants to know the power back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sufferings being conformed to his death, his death to sin, by the way. I don't want to sin anymore. I want to be like Christ. That, in, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, that I may, as we'll see, live a resurrected lifestyle unto God, as we're going to see. We need to get this. The Christian life is about the Lord God causing us on a daily basis to say no to self and rely on Christ and then let him live his life through us. You see, sin brings death, but Christ brings life. Brings life. So the direction of a Christian after salvation, as we're going to see, should be, as we're going to see, have a desire to be made like Christ. I don't want to sin as much. I want to sin less. I want to die to that. 
I want to die to those wrong attitudes. I want to die to that worry. I want to die to that anger. I want to die to that fear. I want to die to that presumption. I want to die to these things. And I want to live to Christ. That's where our desire should be. But yet, unfortunately, sometimes that's not our desires. And some people can be Christians for years and years and not get the basics of what God saved us for. As we're going to see, there is a goal in our salvation. And we are to stretch forward towards that goal right now while we're on earth. Look at our passage in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. That helps us understand that resurrection. He said, I haven't become perfect yet. We're going to see that or complete. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if any of anything, anything of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Where do we go from here? We're going to see that the Apostle Paul in his testimony, pressed forward. And I don't know if you noticed something when we read through that. There are a lot of eyes there, right? I, 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 I. And there are a lot of implied eyes. Not that I have already attained it, or literally in the Greek, I have already become perfect, but I press on and that I may lay hold. He goes, I, I, I. This is about his testimony. Now you probably rec- you want to recognize also that there is a main portion in here. There's a main portion grammatically that we need to see. Notice this term pressing on, verse 12, I press on, middle of verse 12. Verse 14, I press on. Everything here is related to this terminology of pressing on, pressing on. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that that I may lay hold of that for which Also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We're going to see that Paul pressed on with a singular purpose. A singular purpose to become like Christ. Singular purpose. I press on. Now, he presses on here. We're going to see he begins to use an athletic metaphor to describe as what we're going to see is the Christian life or the course of the Christian life. He says, I press on, but later on we see that this pressing on is related to the goal or the prize. The goal speaks of the finish line in Greek, and the prize speaks of the the, the prize for winning a race. The award for victory in the games. And so he begins to use this athletic metaphor. And this term press on used in verse 12 and verse 14 is a common word in Scripture. It actually means in other places, it's usually translated persecute or pursue. It means to, to, to go after something diligently. It's like, a, like an animal chasing after another animal, pursuing it. And that's why it was used to speak of persecuting, because when someone persecuted someone, they were pursuing them. And so Paul uses it in a different way. I press on. I am running after this. That is my singular focus. 
I don't know if you know animals very well. All I know is dogs because we've had dogs. But when our dogs have seen a cat, they just, zoom. They have one focus, and they're going after that. You see? They're pursuing it. They're not looking at anything else. They're not listening to us, right? So the Apostle Paul says here, I press on, and we're going to see towards the goal, towards the prize. The picture is of an athlete running as fast as he can and as hard as he can, pursuing one thing, the goal, the finish line, and the prize that is received at the finish line. That's what he's saying. And notice Paul pressed on, and he knew within this pressing on that he hadn't made it yet. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. You see, we need to remember that verse 12 is not in isolation. It's connected to what we saw back in verse 11. The term obtained speaks of taking hold. So what is Paul saying here? Remember verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I may live this way, but not that I have obtained it, or have already become, as we'll see, perfect. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, he's saying. And notice he elaborates on this obtaining, this, this dying to sin and living unto God. He says, not that I've already obtained it, what he spoke about in verses 10 and 11, or, he, he speaks in parallel, have become perfect. What's he talking about here when he says perfect? Well, the term in Greek translated perfect is used throughout our passage here, by the way. It comes from the Greek word teleao. It speaks of perfection or completeness or maturity, attaining a goal in a sense. And it's used in different ways. And indeed, in our passage, the same word is used in two different ways within our passage. Look down in verse 15. This is the same same word. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Same word, perfect. Now, we're going to see it's not speaking of perfection. We're going to talk about this in a minute. So how could Paul say this? I haven't become perfect yet. And then verse 15, let, the, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, he's saying, including himself. So I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Well, first of all, he's saying, I'm not here yet. But clearly he's saying, I believe that he's mature. I'm not there all the way. I haven't made it all the way. But as many as us who are mature, I believe that's a good translation. We see that in places. As many as are mature. So what's the point he's making here? Folks, you will never be complete on this earth in your walk with Christ. You will never reach complete sanctification on this earth. As Paul said, I haven't got to that place yet. There's no sinless perfectionism. 1 John 1.8 is a verse that kills that idea immediately. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you think you have made it to a point where you do not sin anymore, you are lying and the truth is not in you. We are not going to stop physically sinning until we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. But what we're going to see is we should be sinning less and less. God is working on us. He is making us like Christ. We are to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We are to excel still more. 
We won't become complete or perfect in this life, but we can become mature in this life. It's the same word. He's saying, not that I'm complete yet, but as many as us who are complete or mature, we need to have this attitude. Now, there's three aspects of our perfection in a sense, teleao, corresponding to three aspects of our salvation. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Let me give you some examples. When we trusted in Christ Jesus, we were justified by faith. We are seen as complete or perfectly righteous in Christ. Right? Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Actually, yeah, go ahead and turn there because I want to go back there later. <laughs> Hebrews 10:14 is speaking of Christ. And we have our same word, teleao, which means complete or, or, or perfect or finished or mature. Hebrews 10:14 For by one offering that speaking of Jesus Christ he has perfected teleao for all time those who are sanctified. One sacrifice brought about our forgiveness of sins. We are perfected in that sense. But notice we also see in scripture we are being made perfect or complete. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 Therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh perfecting Holiness in the fear of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Turn there. God is working us. He is making us mature. He is completing what he started. He's completing what he started, but we're not there yet. But we should be growing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We have the goal of the a teaching from the, the those who God has gifted to teach in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until, here's the goal, we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of Man to a teleos man, the complete or mature man. You'll see your translated mature there. Our same word is perfect and complete. To the mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The Apostle Paul would share in Colossians chapter 128, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man, teleos, complete or mature in Christ. And then we have scriptures that show that we will be perfect in the future when we're in God's presence. Now you can get you your fingers in Hebrews, Hebrews 12. 23. I'm not going to read the whole portion here, but this is a benediction in a sense. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men, what? Made perfect. Made perfect. We're going to be made perfect when we see Jesus. We are complete in terms of our justification. We are being made perfect now, in a sense, or mature right now, and we will be complete when we see Jesus. First John chapter 3, we sang about this a minute ago. Turn to First John chapter 3. Three aspects of being made complete, perfect, or mature. That same word. First John chapter 3, verse 1. 
See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall what? Be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. The goal is to be like Jesus Christ. And when we see Him, we will be like Jesus Christ completely. Completely set apart from sin, glorified. But right now, because that's our goal, we set forward towards it right now. We focus on that right now. So the Apostle Paul, back in Philippians chapter 3, is saying, he's saying, um, I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet. Verse 12, not that I've obtained it or have already become perfect or complete or mature, or not mature, but clear would be a better translation, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I'm not there yet, but I press on. And I press on for a goal. He says, but I press on in order that I, and here's the reason, I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul understood the goal of his salvation. The term lay and lay hold is an intense form of lumbano, kata lumbano, which speaks of overtaking or grasping forcibly, making one's own, that it would be mine, I would lay hold of it. Paul is saying the reason I keep pressing on is so that I would lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. If we only grasp the meaning of what he's saying here, our Christian lives would be revolutionized we grasp what he is saying here because of the lack of teaching at times and the false gospel in the church these days people don't know why god saves people they think it's just for that initial forgiveness they don't understand the goal of the salvation that god has for them we are not saved so that we can have better marriages although jesus can help that We're not saved so we can get out of our financial binds, although trusting Him will help us make right choices financially. We're not saved to have some emotional experience of worship, although salvation does bring great joy. We have been saved and grasped and held by Christ so that, as we will see, we will become like Christ. Why did Jesus lay hold forcefully of Paul to make him his own? Obviously in context that he would become like Christ. One pastor writes, The supreme purpose of the church is not evangelizing the world. I know that's often held up to be the supreme aim of the purpose of the church. Certainly Jesus sent us to preach the gospel to every creature. The most important thing, that is the most important thing, but it's not the supreme thing, not the final goal. Romans 8:29 speaks of God predestining his own to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the ultimate end of evangelism. We get saved unto something, unto a relationship with Christ in which we become more and more like him and will be like him completely when we see him in terms of character and righteousness. So the apostle Paul is saying here 
I press on in order that I may lay hold of what I was laid hold of for by Christ. It's pretty simple, you see. And unfortunately, this has been so polluted in, in teaching these days, making it about your experience and yourself and all this stuff rather than about being like Christ. You see, God has called us into a relationship. He's called us into a relationship where we are to be set apart from sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should become holy and blameless before him in love. And that calling should motivate us to walk differently. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore the prison Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling from which you've been called. You've been called out of sin and unto Christ. And so walk that way. Progressively more and more. Press towards that goal. You see, Christ laid hold of us in salvation that we would become like him and gain his glory. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's a goal of salvation. It's not, we, we miss, you know, the false teaching and the lack of teaching in churches misses the whole middle part. Yes, there's salvation and there's glory and eternity, but it misses the middle. And that's where we're living now, isn't it? In the middle. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, talking to true believers, because God has chosen you from the beginning, what? For salvation, and it's through a process, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a direction There's a goal, and there's a path to that goal. And folks, Paul is pressing on towards the goal which he was laid hold of. Christ saved you to become like him in a real relationship where you abide and trust in him, a real relationship where you know him better and better. This is God's plan for you now. And Paul pressed forward towards that goal. But he recognized he hadn't gotten there yet. There's no pride in Paul here that he's some super mature saint. He'll give an honest evaluation of himself in a moment. But he's saying, I have not got there yet. Not that I have all. Philippians 3 again, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect or complete. But I press on in order that I may obtain, may lay hold, I may grasp forcibly that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Every circumstance in our lives right now, God is using for this goal. Every conversation, every personal interaction, everything you might be worried about or tempted to sin in that way. Every situation God is using to draw us to trust in him and have a different mindset to to die to sin and to live to Christ. And when we fail, we confess and he forgives us. This is what God is doing through that. He's taking the bad and turning it good because he's conforming us to his image. Turn to Romans 8:28. We often read the first verse there. We never go to the next one. First verse is great, but it's connected. Romans 8:28. And you probably all know this, memorized it when you were kids, you were taught and memorized these scriptures. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Called to be like Christ, by the way. For explanation. Verse 29, 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his Son. He predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. And Paul pressed forward towards that goal. Completeness in Christ, Christ-likeness, although he knew he wouldn't make it all the way until he was with Christ, as we're going to see. He wanted to focus on that which God laid hold of him for. Why did God save you? He saved you so that you could have a relationship with him and become like his son, Jesus Christ. And that gives him glory. That gives him great glory, by the way. You see, because Christ is the only one that pleases God. And when Christ is manifest in us, we please God by faith. Paul pressed towards that goal of completeness, Christ-likeness. He saw the goal and he knew what he was doing and knew what God was doing in everything in his life. It's God is using those things. That's why we are to count it joy, my brethren. We encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, remaining under, and endurance its perfect result that we would be complete and lacking in nothing. That's what he's doing. He pressed forward to that. And we need to renew our minds when things come our way and we need to see them in light of this instead. Instead. If you're saved, Jesus Christ laid hold of you. But he laid hold of you to make him like himself, to conform you to his image. So you need to be pressing forward towards that. Let me ask you, do you press forward towards it? Do you press on? What do you press forward towards? Yes, we have the things he has us do in this life, but they should be in the context of pressing forward in righteousness to be like Christ. How many churches would be changed if believers were taught what God is doing after he saved you? It changes your perspective in everything in your life. Everything. We saw in Ephesians that the goal was to the mature man or complete man to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, growing up. God has given us so many examples. Look at children. They have to grow up. Some of them don't, right? When a child doesn't grow up, it's kind of ugly, isn't it? When someone is an adult and acts like a child, it's kind of ugly, isn't it? We need to grow up. We need to grow up. That's the goal. Become more like Christ. Are you pressing forward? If you thought this way, things would change, and we have to renew our minds because we're not there yet, right? We would be rejoicing rather than worrying, thanking rather than complaining, submitting rather than demanding, trusting rather than relying on self and others. So then Paul pressed forward with a single purpose towards the goal, but he had a single focus also. Single focus. Back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 now. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. I haven't grasped that goal yet. I haven't laid hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice he says, I don't regard myself as having laid all of it yet. Again, Paul is reckoning himself rightly. If you think you've gotten there yet, then you're, you're dead and glorified. That's the only way that could happen, right? He says, I haven't made it yet. And there's great spiritual danger to thinking you have made it. Pride, folks. Believing you've reached a plateau spiritually while still in this life. We are to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing until we come at Christ. 
in his presence. It's a continuing process that should increase during the course of our lives and will never be complete until we see Christ Jesus. And this is a warning to us. A godly man, the Apostle Paul, is saying, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But we are to be making progressive steps towards that goal, as we're going to say. Let me ask you, how much spiritual accounting do you do? Do you look at your life in light of Scripture and evaluate it? We should be doing this, and we should be seeing progress in Christ. We should be sinning less in certain areas. God works on those. We should be confessing quicker. We shouldn't be holding on to things. We should be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we're not there yet. We need to learn from him. With that said, there's no room for complacency. Notice, uh, or staying where you're at, or not maturing in Christ. Look at uh, verse 13 again. But brethren, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but, contrast, one thing I do, or literally, one thing. One thing. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. The one thing is pressing on towards the goal. But we're going to see there are two things that qualify it. Two things that could be a stumbling block if we don't do them. Two things that get in the way from us pressing on towards the goal. And if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to press on. Understand the grammar here. The one thing is pressing on towards the goal. But notice that this must, there, must, there are two distinct actions within this. First, forgetting what lies behind. Uh-oh. We get a certain perverse joy out of going over the things in our past. We do. Holding on to things, holding on to issues, holding on to situations, having excuses for the future, holding on. He says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You see, this is a race metaphor. You cannot win the race, let alone get the prize for winning the race, if you are looking back. You will never win a race looking backwards. You will never learn it, win it. You will lose. And if you are looking backwards, you are losing the race right now. If you're looking back at anything, and we'll talk about this in a minute, you are losing the race because your eye is not on the prize. Your eye is not on the goal. This verse puts out of business much of so-called Christian counseling, much of it, that focuses completely on the past and never gets past that. Yes, you need to deal with sin and confess it, but you need to move forward, as we're going to say. So let me ask you this. If he says, I forget what lies behind, doesn't that contradict the fact you just explained the way you used to be a minute ago? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Hebrew. I did all this stuff. This is my big list of stuff. Did he actually forget those things? What is he talking about? The verse speaks of a continual action, continually choosing to forget. Continually choosing to forget what lies behind. And what lies behind us? What lies behind us? Certainly our sinful life before Christ. That lies behind us. We need to continually choose to forget about it. Otherwise, we will not be focused on the race. But yet we do remember what Jesus did. You see, Paul. Looked, the only way Paul looked back was to give God glory. Yes, I was this way, but I gained Christ. Praise the Lord, right? It was to give God glory. Forgetting what lies behind. Certainly we forget our past failures. Yes, our sins have been tossed as far as the east as the west. 
Satan wants you to dwell on it. He's the accuser of the brethren. But we, by faith, recognize if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We press forward. Yes, as we press forward, there may be consequences to our sin, but yet we see them in light of God making us like Christ and press forward to the goal. He says, forgetting what lies behind. That includes everything. If my focus is on things that have happened in my life in the past, I'm in trouble. Or things that have happened to me from other people, whatever it is, I'm not going to finish the race. I've got to step forward. doesn't mean those things didn't happen. Paul said, I was this, I was this, I was this. We'll see later on, the Apostle Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. He didn't ignore that, but he said, the Lord will take care of that. I'm focusing this way. The Lord will take care of that. Some of you here are not becoming more like Christ because you are bound by a focus on the past, good or bad. But you must continually make the choice to forget what lies behind. Those thoughts come in your head? No. Press forward. You've got to make that choice. And if you don't, confess it. Confess it. Forget what has happened. Forget what lies behind except to give God glory, thanks, or praise. Glory, thanks, or praise. And press forward towards the goal. If you're focused on what lies behind, not forgetting it, making the choice to ignore it, to forget it, and then deal with it in the context of going forward, pointing to Christ, right? Giving him glory, praise, and and honor, and thanks. You're not going to be able to finish the race. You're going to stay a baby Christian. You're going to stay like those children who grow up and they still act like children. And it's very obvious to everyone around them they are not mature and something's wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. But one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what lies behind. But notice he doesn't just stop there. He says here, and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The, 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 the terminology is one stretching across the finish line. You ever see sprints where they're running, and when they get to the end, they're stretching. They are so focused on winning. They are so focused on the goal. They are reaching out. And that's what he's saying here. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. Reach forward to Christ-likeness. Reach forward to the goal of becoming more like Christ. When things happen in your life, reach forward to be like Christ. To confess sin. To abide in Christ. To trust in Him. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead for us? Glory. Reach forward to it. Reach forward to it. Reach forward to why God grasped you. In every situation, don't look back. Reach forward. Reach forward. You'd be set free from sin. Some of you are slaves to sin. Confess it. Reach forward. Reach forward. And notice what he says back in our passage, verse 14. I press on towards the goal. I press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on, brothers and sisters. Press on. Towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. The goal literally means the mark. That point where the race ends, the finish line. The prize spoke of the award for victory in the games. Victory. In Christ, you can be victorious. And we're to press on. And he says here, toward the goal, the prize 
of something, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some people are on the downward spiral to hell. We are on the upward call. We've been called out of sin to his glory. The upward call. The upward call. 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, will himself perfect, confirm, that's our word, strengthen and establish you. God called us to his eternal glory. This is the upward call, the consummation of our salvation, being with Christ forever, being glorified, being like him face to face. The upward call of God, which comes through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. It is through faith in Christ Jesus that we are saved, that we are called to eternal glory. How many can say, I know the goal of my salvation, the goal of why Jesus saved me? How many are you of you are singularly focused, of us, are singularly focused on the goal of our salvation? How many of us press forward towards that goal, forgetting what lies behind and reaching out to what lies ahead? One pastor writes, what is the goal? What did we say the goal was? To be like what? Like Christ. What is the prize? To be made like Christ. That's why he says you bear down on the prize which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's going to happen when we, that upward call comes? You're going to be like what? Like Christ. The goal is the prize. The prize is the goal. So Paul says, look, the goal of my life is to be like Christ, and that's also the reward of my race. You say, you're going to reach that goalless life? No, but it's still the goal. It's still the goal. But someday I will be like Christ. That's the prize that God gives me, gives the one who runs the race. The goal is to be like Christ, perfection in Christ. The prize is to be like Christ. Someday we will be like him. We shall see him as he is. That's the goal. He says, one thing I do, press on towards that. What one thing do you do? Yes, we do a lot of other things, but if we do one thing, those other things filter through that goal. They filter through that. I want to be like Christ in how I raise my kids. I want to be like Christ in how I have my, in my marriage. I want to be like Christ in my work. I want to be like Christ in the things he has called me to do. I fail. I'm not there yet, but I want to be like that. So I don't look back. I look forward. That's the goal, being like Christ in how I interact with you and you and you. The goal is how I am like Christ in what I do here in preaching the word. I want to be like Christ. That's the goal. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We are to be conformed to the image of his son. And God uses the difficulties in this life to do that. The fire, he heats up the life, fire, and makes it difficult. Difficult people, difficult situations, difficult circumstances to cause you to turn and trust him to be like Christ. Paul pressed on to this wonderful goal of Christ-likeness, the upward call. If we could only grasp this. One thing. And how is it we become more like Christ? We need to allow his word to change our hearts in humility. To allow him to change our thinking, change our responses, change our actions. To work out what he is working in with fear and trembling. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You see, we get all distracted on all kinds of things. And there's really only one important thing. And it has to do with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 Now, as they were traveling along, he, that's speaking of Jesus, entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. Notice that. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. One thing's necessary. You got worries and bothers? One thing's necessary. And notice what he says here. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set towards that goal in your life to be like him. Press forward, not looking back. Now that's the Apostle Paul's testimony. I do this, I do this, I do this. It's his testimony. But now at this point, as we finish, he exhorts us all to do the same thing. Look at verse 15, back in Philippians chapter 3. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. The term attitude speaks of mind. Have this mind that was in Christ. It's thinking. Think this way. As many of us, therefore, in light of what I just shared with you, let us have this. As many as are perfect. The word perfect doesn't mean perfection. It's the same word we saw earlier. It means maturity or completeness. As many of you who are mature have this attitude. As many of you who are not baby babies have this attitude. Have this attitude. Let us. Let us have this attitude. Let us have this attitude. Therefore, if you're mature, think this way. Be single-minded. Press on to the goal alone. In every circumstance and application in life, forget what lies behind. Press towards the goal. It's all about becoming like Christ. His word dwelling richly in us as he uses the circumstances when we trust him by faith to bring about his life in us. And then notice he, he, he addresses believers that aren't mature, baby believers. Middle of verse 15. And if anything, you have a different attitude or thinking, same word, God will reveal this also to you. If you're a baby, you're not mature, then God's going to reveal this as you get in the word. And guess what? God's revealing this today to you. If you have a different attitude, if you don't see this as the way why God saved you, God's going to reveal that to you. That's his plan. If you've got a different attitude, he will reveal it. The question is, will you respond when he reveals it? Because if you are mature in Christ, we should know this. And we should move on and press forward. And by the way, we should be mature in Christ quite quickly. Quite quickly. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then we have one warning at the end. Verse 16. However... Nevertheless, you could translate it that way. Let us keep living by the same standard by which you attain. You think you're a baby Christian, you haven't figured it out yet? Don't backslide. You've attained a certain standard. The word standard there spoke of, it's from a Hebrew word, cane, which spoke of a cane or a ruler. A standard. Let us keep living our lives by the standard to which we have the word attained means arrived or reached. You are growing in Christ. Stay there. Don't go back. Don't go back. Keep going this way. Keep going that way. No matter where you are at, keep growing in Christ. Keep going by that same standard by which you have attained. 
don't slip back. So where do we go from here? When Christ laid hold of you, he laid hold of you that you would lay hold of him in his life. That you would become like him. Is this your focus? In every area of your life, it needs to be. When things happen to you, I want to be like you and how I respond here, Lord Jesus. I want to be like you. I want to trust you. I want to obey you. How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to do? His word is clear and teaches us and instructs us. If you're not an infant in Christ, you need to think this way. And if you are a babe in Christ, he is, he promises to reveal this to you. And it's being revealed to you today. So then we see the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He was initially self-focused, self-sufficient before Christ. But he saw all that as loss. And he actually lost it all. And he gained Christ in his righteousness. And at that point, what he wanted to do was to know Christ, to deeply know him, to be like him, to be conformed to his image. And he pressed towards that goal, the upward call, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward, reaching out to what lies ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For some of you here, you're not believers. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, a personal one, because you're still in your sins. He doesn't know you. You may think you know him. Confess your sin. He'll forgive you. And then we need to have the right goal of our salvation. We've seen it today. So then, in everything you do in your life, this needs to be our goal. Some of you need to do some confessing because you've been living in the past. You need to confess it. You're bringing it up. You're talking. Forget it. Forget what lies behind unless it brings God glory. Unless it brings God glory. Press forward to this upward call in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. It is so wonderful. Thank you so much. I just pray, Lord God, that uh, those who really know you will do exactly what we have heard today. That we will not dishonor you and walk out of here forgetting what we've heard. That we will apply it in our conversations after this service and in our day in our days, that we will press on towards the goal, forgetting what lies behind, reaching out towards what lies ahead. And I pray for those who are not saved here, who are never pressed towards that goal. They've never even desired to be like Christ. Lord, I pray you'd convict their hearts of their pride and sin, and they would humble themselves and cry out to you for mercy out to your son, Lord Jesus, save me. And then they would begin to press forward towards that goal. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. First and last verse of face to face.